0: Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran.
1: Thank you for joining us. I'm Ingrid, your host. Today we have a very special guest. She is really one of our own at Paces Connections, so we're excited to have this conversation today. Um, Matthew, my co-host is not here today. The Director of Communities. He is actually in West Virginia with their Handle with Care conference. So I'm very excited to hear uh, how that uh, event went with him. And I know that, you know, handle with care is such a great uh, program. So I'm very interested to hear how that goes. Um but today we have Dr. Danielle Prince, who is actually a Paces Connection staff. And she is our Director of State Initiatives. And um, she's the coordinator of one of our uh, newest and very exciting programs, the Creating Resilient Communities Accelerator Program. And today I've invited her here to really talk about um, how she got into the work and um, and all the different things that she's doing, but uh, more importantly, kind of the bigger conversation around how we view mental health um, as separate from physical health, this actually came from a conversation we just happened to have in a meeting, and I thought it would be a great topic to bring here today. So, Danielle, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks, Ingrid. It is great to finally be here. Um, yeah. This uh, this podcast that I've been following um, and hearing about internally and, and externally. Yeah. Um, so it's great to be here, and I'm excited about this conversation. To um, you know, to th- there's. There probably could be a series on this topic alone.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah.
2: So, you know, Danielle, introduce
1: yourself to our audience. You know, tell us about your background. And how did you come to this work?
2: Sure. So, um, I tell this story a lot in our Creating Resilient Communities program. So, if you are listening and you've heard, <laughs> you've heard this before, um, but for everyone else, I started out my, you know, I got. I went through a master's in counseling program. And so I started out as a therapist and I I only worked as therapist for a couple of years and I worked with children. Mm -hmm. Um, Having gone through a counseling program, learning a lot about human development and counseling techniques, I became interested. I, I did some of my counseling in schools and I became aware that in classrooms there was a lot of difficulty in terms of the relationship between students and teachers. So that led me on a research path. So for many years, I actually ended up um, doing research. I was interested in school reform, so I did a lot of research related to that. Um, When I started to hear about the PACES, well, the ACES study and PACES science in general, I was very excited because it was a, a great segue of getting people to understand that the things that we are doing, whatever the things that we are doing are always impacted by um, human development. And if people are carrying trauma, that that's a part of it, it's going to, it's going to impact the things that we do with each other. And so that's how I got excited to, um, to learn more about Paces and ended up working at Paces Connection.
1: Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and I can say over the, I guess, almost, well, it's been four years now that we've worked together, um, that I always enjoy your insights, um, in, in the discussions that we have on in our on our staff kind of meetings and just you know whenever we connect. Mm-hmm. And I really want to know like I know that you brought up a little bit about PACES, but what was your first reaction when you heard about the or read about the ACES study, the initial ACES study? Uh
2: in some in many ways it was validating of what a lot of people who do counseling know, um, and even in the medical profession, they already understood that um, there's a there's an immediate connection between stress and stressors that we're going through in our physical health. You might, if you're if you're experiencing stress, that could be one of the reasons you have a stomach ache. Doctors understood that. People understood that. I think in the counseling field, we understood that um, there could be health consequences to emotional distress along the along the um the human development cycle the lifespan development but it wasn't it didn't have the evidence base and so when i read the aces study along with a lot of other people here was the evidence base it was really clear and it was actually even more clear than um we would even have anticipated because the data was so compelling so it was just exciting to see in many ways validation, like literally data validation and um, psychological validation for what if you are dealing with healing people, you know there's a connection between their trauma and their and their health and um, it deserves to be at the center.
1: Yeah, I, many people talk about how validating the study is when they first hear about it and I think, you know, we have very similar backgrounds academically and that that having that human development lens uh, it's something that you already know but when you see the evidence and it's so compelling and it really drives home that when you're in the classroom with the with the child or when you're sitting and counseling someone one-on-one that you know the stakes are, are high that if we aren't helping others to regulate and to relieve their stress and to, um, learn, learn different skills to, to relieve their stress for themselves that we're, you know, that we're really talking about health consequences. We're talking about, you know, chronic diseases like diabetes and, um, heart disease and things of that nature. So, you know, many people have talked about how validating it is. So I know that, especially in academic spaces, there's so many profound, Studies that, that we come across. What stands out for you when it comes to the ACE study? Why is it so important for you personally?
2: Um, well, w- one thing I'll say comes from the study itself, is, and just that it establishes that there's a direct and independent relationship between um, our childhood emotional distress, which at that time was defined, and that study was specifically d- defined as birth to the age of 18 what they knew then as the um, the period of time that the brain is in development, um, there's a direct uh, impact on health and midlife, which is many years later. Um, and until that point, what was understood is that genetics and lifestyle factors um, impact, have that impact on your health. And now there's this third variable and it's established. Um, so, that was, um, it, it was very important. I mean, we've car- we kind of already stated that, but just, it just made it so urgent. It, it increased the urgency of addressing these issues in the ways that you just described, making sure that we do everything that we can to first understand, this, to understand what the ACE study showed us and the broader understanding about how trauma impacts people's lives, but then to take steps um, to prevent, treat and heal Aces becomes not just, you know, an, a, an issue, of, a, a personal issue for someone. It becomes a public health issue. It becomes something that we need to address as a society through our systems. You know, the focus of this podcast, um, it, and it does it, it makes it from it. It's a central and urgent issue instead of you know something that could be relegated to the margins.
1: Yes, because often when we talk about social emotional learning or our mental health in children and adults it is kind of secondary we think of the the physical impact you know physical needs as more important or urgent or relevant and then we think, oh, yeah, in school settings, we need to learn, you know, the three R's and oh, yeah, we can, you know, we can help with mental health or as you know, it's just, it's very on the fringe. It's always considered kind of secondary or if we can throw that into great, but um, centering it with the understanding that it is very much connected to physical health and well being is you know, kind of what the next frontier is in this space. And that kind of is ushered in by our understanding of, of trauma. Um, I know that we've had conversations in the past where we've talked a little bit about, you know, the relevance of mental health and how um, this study in particular really brings into question our understanding of the um, mind-body connection, or in my case, I call it the brain-body connection. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What is... What is at stake here when we think about what the ACEs study is is telling us when it comes to our understanding of the mind-body connection?
2: There's there's so many layers. I think I'll I'll start with um, a story that you've heard before, uh, heard me share before, but just that, when you're talking about stakes and how important this is, I once had a client, um, an eight-year-old who uh, was having stomach pain The doctor saw that he was developing an ulcer and there, you know, it it wasn't urgent to do surgery, but it could become that way. And his prescription for the family was a therapist, recognizing that anxiety was likely contributing to um, this pain that was having a physical manifestation, something that would have to be acted on physically that would be, you know, you don't. When you can avoid it, you don't want to have surgery on young children. So if there's any other alternative, you want to pursue that. So, um, and so it was interesting that that was the prescription. And I am happy to say I I was a therapist for this, but directly for the child, but also with the family. Um, And he didn't need surgery. We worked on anxiety management and um, very supportive family. You know, we came up with, um, ideas that he could use and practices he could use that included breathing and being aware of thoughts and mindfulness, those sorts of things. Um, However, the school wasn't supportive. Um, They saw him as acting out. They saw it as a parenting issue. Um, Some of the issues they were having with him in the school, they saw it as, oh, if the the parents did different things and we wouldn't be having these behavior concerns. And so, um, we ended up going to the school and having a meeting. And even though the mother had tried to explain some of the things that I had shared and also her own observations, she wasn't heard. And so I came in with my little credentials and said the same things that she had already told them. And coming from me, they began to take it seriously. And at the time, I didn't necessarily... Drop the ACEs study into the conversation, but I just explained that, um, it's, you know, it's a common thing for things like anxiety to create. He's basically having panic attacks at school and he had a lot of anxiety. It was causing an ulcer. So once I drew those connections, um, then the school was willing to create a support system for him at school and treat his anxiety as something that they should notice and support. So, um, and once we did that, he had a lot of improvement because they were they, he was getting support at school and at home for his anxiety in a way that made him feel supported. Um, and so, what you can see in this example is without the the school having that understanding, he would have continued. He would have gotten support at home, but then come into a place where his anxiety wasn't supported and continued to suffer. So the stakes are very high to understand. If you um, you know the school, of course, wanted his behavior to be You know they you know wanted him to be able to learn and focus and not create disruptions their very outcome that they wanted required them to accept the uh, the truth of the information that was being shared to them shared with them and so the mom had a hard time communicating to to them it was more not that she had a hard time communicating but she had they had a hard time hearing her so the more these systems get this information and have this understanding um, and I would also say, also learn how to to listen well to community members, um the people that they serve um, about this link between our emotional distress and our health, particularly ACEs which gives us really good language for describing that um, the more a conversation like that would might not even be necessary if the mom says, oh, my son's experiencing some anxiety we have we're one intervention we're doing is Um, he's seeing a counselor, that would be enough for the school to have a support, have a way of addressing student anxiety already in place. Okay, let's activate that. So the stakes are really high because otherwise um, a a, a child like that eight-year-old doesn't get the support that they need. And not everyone is able to get a counselor. So what would his mom have been able to do if I hadn't been able to go to the school and convince them um, that this was needed?
1: yeah you bring up a good um, point about not everyone being able to have a counselor or therapist, and if we are you know beginning to see how our mental health um, aka the brain is really having an impact on our physical health and we're ready to kind of embed this in our in our in our systems, you know we also have to acknowledge that you know there's a reason why Americans um, tend to be one of the most unhealthy countries when it comes to kind of industrialized countries. Um, And that is probably very much linked with our ability to access mental health uh, care. And so, um, you know, the implications here are are vast. You know, uh, it makes me think about um, when we had Dr. Um, Sandy Bloom on and she talked about uh, the concept of biocracy, which is that all of the, our systems should work in a way that supports how the human body works and develops. Um, what do you feel about about that? And is that something that you believe is kind of tied to our understanding of this mind-body connection?
2: Yeah, um, I definitely think that's brilliant, and I'm not as I'm familiar with Sandra Bloom and her work, which is very exciting to me. Um, and not so much with the term biocracy, but the as you describe it, it resonates. Uh, I've often one of the things that I thought when I went into schools, I was in my early twenties, fresh out of my counseling program, and I would go into classrooms and see exchanges between the adults and the the children. And they were things I could, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And it was because of the way that I had learned how children work, developmental psychology, how, uh, how uh, organizational cultures work, how um, everything about lifespan development had learned all these things, which I needed to in order to be effective as a counselor. So I just assumed, you know, you're in your early twenties, you don't, know much about the world beyond what you've learned specifically. And so I just assumed that anyone who worked with kids would have gotten the same training as I did. So it would be the training you got as a counselor, as a pediatrician, as a teacher. I was wrong about that. I, um, I had just presumed that. And I, so what I saw, it was actually shocking to me over time. I've come to understand that teachers actually don't get that training. Pediatricians don't get that training. There's a lot of efforts now to change that, but, um, uh, so, the ideas that you just shared from Sandra Bloom make so much sense because um, some of the things I saw in the classroom, reactions to behavior that was actually very typical like I know that's how a two year old's going to behave. I know that's how a four year old's going to behave. I know that's how a six and sixteen year old's going to behave. You should know that too, <laughs> and then you wouldn't have the same reaction so um that's a, I mean, I, she's, Sandra Bloom is brilliant. And it, and I, I love that term and that concept because it, it, it gives language around that kind of observation that I was having as a young counselor. Um, this is knowledge that we should all have because it supports us in being able to, um, you don't, you don't necessarily have to get um, disruptive behavior from your students. If you know how to interpret their behavior and the signs, I mean, I've, you know, just a, a minor example, like I can see two kids, maybe even pre-verbal kids, you know, like, you know, two year maybe 18 months old interacting. I know they're about to fight <laughs> and I can intervene because I see the frustration, the sign and the eyes, the the body language. I can see these things and I know that they're typical of their age and I know what they're going to do. I know what an 18 month is old is going to do when they see they're seeing a toy that they were just playing with. And um, and now someone else is playing with it and they want it. And so I can intervene before the fight happens, but I have to have that knowledge. And so, yeah, I, um, that is, it sounds like that should become a guiding principle for all of our curriculum. Um, Like I said, um, I just picked on pediatricians and teachers, but this applies to any professionals, especially if you do any type of service providing, but that should be in the curriculum of every uh, field so that, In in a very similar way to how it was with the counseling, obviously, they wouldn't need the level of detail. But there's quite a lot of content in the counseling program that all of these, if you do work where you're serving humans, you need to have some expertise in how humans work.
1: Yes, that is so true. And and my background is also in child development and lifespan development. So it Yes, you would think with the understanding that we have around human development, how humans work and that we would have systems to support um, human development and human you know, anatomy, all of it. Um, and, and we do not. And often we'll find that our systems are actually in opposition mm-hmm. to healthy development of, of humans. And so, um, which we see this every day, so I, I definitely uh, agree with you. The school system is, is an example, but you know all of our systems really um, could be um, kind of built around you know how humans work and how they development how they develop and and what that looks like at at all um, age age ranges, not just children. You know, well into adulthood, especially those people serving. Um, systems kind of like at the state level and, um, or even federal level, as we think about policy, I mean, it it really can drive um, all the ways that we have experiences with systems in in our society. I I think one thing that you brought up around um, the ability for us to intervene, to, to, to be in a place as the adult, or even you know, not even just as the adult, but as the uh, regulated person <laughs> in in the space, to be able to to help others, um, I I think that really um, resonates with me because in I've also worked in the school system and I've seen how classrooms are and and I think that we really do need kind of a, a revamping of how we operate. Um, And again, it's easy to pick on education, but but this is a really good example, uh, because um, if we use education as an example, teachers aren't getting the support that they need. And this is showing up in the classrooms and this um, these unregulated spaces. Uh, And when I say regulated, I mean um, like, you know, um, being able to be in a space where you're calm and present and able to work with people uh, in this case, children. And this makes the school system a particularly um, place where re traumatization happens. Um, I know, and we have a little bit of time before we go to break, but share a little bit about what you learned in the school system that really kind of resonated with the ACEs study. Um, And, you know, that experience really tying into, you know, the work that you do today.
2: Yeah, so uh, in my early days, I would go into schools and I would just see the dynamics, just um, behaviors that um, would escalate. Like, I love that you use the term regulation, um, behaviors that escalate, that didn't have to escalate, because again, you could predict them, and and in some and oftentimes the language or the tone that um, an adult, it's not just teachers, but other staff might use will... Is, it sets off a reaction that could be predicted, um, and if you understood those connections, you wouldn't talk like you wouldn't talk like that, and you wouldn't get the reaction. So, um, and so, going to the ACES study, uh, one of the things that teachers, um, I'm skipping ahead to the period, and I'll talk about this more later. But the period of time when I was doing a lot of research on teacher education programs, um, one thing that I feedback that i got and this is every year for over 10 years three thousand teachers um saying that the thing even if their program was good in every other way their teacher education program it did not prepare them for quote unquote classroom management and as i dug into that concept classroom management is a lack of understanding of human development and it's how it manifests in trauma so um you you need to understand that when people are uh, feeling when they, when their um, their stress reaction system is activated and they are um, they're, and they are more likely to um they're going to be more they're not they're not going to have as much access to their prefrontal cortex so the, all the things you need for them to do in a class to fill out their worksheets and work in pairs and be creative and complete projects they can't do. And when they're in that state, so you know some of the things that you're, if you have an understanding that people that children are bringing their trauma to the classroom, you're gonna, you're gonna move through that day in a more attentive way and notice. You're going to be more primed to notice um, when people might be um, as. Uh, I've heard this term used before um, when the. The rider is off the horse, and there, there's some other phrases that help give you the image of what happens when you 're just not you 're not in that state where you can concentrate and focus you 're feeling a threat to your safety and you are in your survival mode. Um, you need to understand that phenomenon in general, and then you need some support so that you know how to um, how to respond when you notice that. You know how to ask questions when um, you see a behavior that's off. I remember someone once giving an example, um, not necessarily related to ACEs, but demonstrating that they understood human development because they had a student who was normally not disruptive, who did something very disruptive. And their first reaction was fortunately to bring them in the hall and just ask them what was going on. And then they got a very emotional response. And what was going on was really hard. It, It was traumatic. So, um, and so that was an excellent move by that teacher. It wasn't part of their training. In fact, um, they knew, their responses to, to youth have been shaped by having this person had parents who were teachers and who had learned this from 30, 40 years. Um, but what if you didn't need 30, 40 years or to have special training from your parents, but it actually came in your curriculum as a teacher. And what I saw in my research is that teachers were apt, practically begging for that. I don't know how to deal with all this behavior that I'm seeing. I don't know what to do when kids don't want to learn, when they don't want to focus on my lesson plan. I don't know what to do about that. And there's an answer to that cry for help. (laughs) And it's just, um, and we're starting to see that. Like, I know there are trauma-sensitive schools. I know that that's improving. In 1996-ish, when I was in schools, um, people didn't have that knowledge. Um, It was very rare if it was anywhere. So, um that's so hopefully that's changing. I know that's changing.
1: Yeah, I believe that is changing. Uh, I think we have a, a great deal of work to do, um but yes, it is changing as we get more in tune with how we see children, how we see ourselves, how we understand the impact of stress and trauma on our on our bodies and brains, and I'm excited to see where this is going to go. And so we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk more about, you know, kind of the future of this movement, the understanding that this study has, has brought to us. Where do you see it going in the future? So we'll talk more about that when we get back. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past. On history, culture, and trauma, Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast... We will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for History, Culture and Trauma Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran.
1: We are back. Today we are talking with Paces Connections' own Dr. Daniel Prince. Um, we In the first half, we were discussing kind of... Um, you know, how the ACE study has kind of shaped Dr. Prince's career. And and then we definitely dug into kind of this understanding that we have now or kind of emerging science around the mind body or the brain body connection. Um, Danielle, you were sharing your experiences um, earlier in your career and how you um, really were impacted by your understanding of the of the initial ACEs study. And now I kinda wanna look forward um, as we take what we've learned from not just the initial ACEs study, but also um, the following studies that really brought about an understanding of historical trauma and um, uh, poverty as an ACE and ra- experiencing racism as an ACE. Um, we are beginning to see kind of the big picture here um, when it comes to systemic impact, uh, especially when we bring in an understanding of how, you know, that larger understanding of human development. Um, What do you think is next for us? Where is this PACE's movement going in the future as we begin to really take the science that that we have now and implement it in a real way? Like, what are the implications or even the possibilities of our understanding of this mind-body-brain-body connection?
2: Yeah, that's such an um, interesting question. And um, it's, there's so many exciting directions to go in. Um, one thing I'm excited about, I you know live in California, and um, there have been recent investments in uh, overhauling the mental and behavioral health infrastructure. And it includes attention to providing more opportunities for people to have trauma-informed experiences it's just in its beginning you know it's in the ideas and building framework stage but um and there's a component of that that is about community schools and making sure that schools are trauma-informed spaces and um and that as a community school you can think you can think of it as the, by having relationships with other organizations in the community, you can address those ACEs. Those You, you can do the work of um, connecting people to things that help heal the either the active situations in their life that are causing trauma, as well as um, helping to um, help them heal from things that may have happened in the past. And so I'm really excited about that moment. And I see that growing. Um, I see that, I know that there are a similar types of efforts emerging already in other states, but I see those kinds of uh, statewide, system-wide um, efforts to actually implement trauma-informed practice, um, kind of taking, you know, catching wind and um, going, uh, going throughout the country. And, and, and I hope that everyone on this call and everyone who comes to, who's a member of Paces Connection wants to be a part part of that change. Because we're still at the level, um, I, as Ingrid mentioned, I coordinate the Creating Resilient Communities Program. And so it's a free program that we offer. It helps if you've never heard of PACES, you could, you could come to these and kind of get a level setting in terms of the language. And if you are pretty familiar, but you wanna explore the idea of how do you organize to build these resilient communities and create these opportunities um, such as the great ones that i I just mentioned in california um it's a place to have those discussions with each other and one of the things that has come up even today um uh, i was in one of these events and everyone was saying um they recognize that there's a lot more conversation and education about aces but there's still so many people who don't know and are there's they I asked a question about where we are and everyone was like, we have a long way to go where I am. We have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. So even for the, the kinds of strategies such as just educating the community that some of us who are in the bubble are like, wow, there's a lot of opportunities now that didn't used to exist. It's still not saturated. So even just education, I'm getting um, to the point where everyone um, recognizes the impact of our emotional health, the fact that our our um, that mind body health, that our emotional health is just as important as our physical health, and starting to think of our mental health as a as a right, and um, that's when you're really talking about Paces being a movement. When you're talking about um, your you know health is a human right, your mental health isn't human is a human right. Um, so, I would say that's just step one because I feel like. There are so many. Um, it, it's having it's more education and having more statewide, system wide, um, embedded myth, uh, embedding trauma informed practice and resilience building strategies and support resource support for those things everywhere is is still a step that is needed. But we also um, still need to to address the what's not in the ASA study. That's a conversation that I have in the CRC also. Um, you know, people are starting to, uh, your work, Ingrid, has been at the forefront of the intersection between um, thinking about equity and trauma-informed. And so that is what is really needed. And I don't think, even as everyone's saying, there's a long way to go just for everyone to understand the connection between our emotional health and our physical health and other outcomes, that's lagging even more behind. So if, one how do we catch it up so it could be integrated and centered as it catches fire so that so those people who haven't really heard about aces can be hearing about equity-centered trauma-informed practice resilience building equity-centered resilience building at the same time and not separated so um that's a big job and that's where i want it to go next
1: yeah i think for sure the that's something that stood out to me in the movement, kind of early on, is we were very clear and had, you know, very clear steps. This is what trauma looks like. This is how you address it, um, and and that's great. But it totally left out the conversation around racial trauma, historical trauma, um, and and a systems approach. It was really focused on individual, individuals and individual interactions, and. I think you're right, as we kind of broaden our understanding, that means we need to get into more of the systemic level. And then that's where we bump up against issues like racism and poverty and sexism and homophobia and all these different ways that um, people are experiencing trauma around their identity and their conditions that they're living in. And I think um, I totally agree that that's kind of the next level. And I also believe, you know, because we haven't really discussed kind of that next wave of understanding around PCEs or the the clear research that we have, it's limited, but it's very clear uh, around positive childhood experiences and, you know, how we incorporate our understanding of that and how that's clearly an equity issue as well. So um, if we think about issues of race and poverty, we have children that are in deficit when it comes to positive childhood experiences. And so then that becomes an equity issue as well. How are we facilitating positive experiences for children dealing with racism and poverty? It's 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 very interesting. And that is, you know, the a hotbed for that issue is schools um, and the school experience in those neighborhoods that are um, dealing with poverty and neighborhoods that are dealing with um, segregation c- communities, um, neighborhoods that are, um, majority, uh, people of color and the, the difference in the educational experiences that they have. Um, so when we think about kind of what's next and that big picture, um, and what we're really talking about is cases and becoming a social movement what are your thoughts on that and and is this a social movement <laughs>
2: um, I, I would say uh, I'll spoiler alert and say it is and it has a potential and in fact today um, was I, I did the event this is an ongoing monthly event is paces a, a movement and w- we explore that question by looking at what are the elements of movement and what's going on in paces um, and what would it if we if, if we arrive at paces, not a movement, and it's really not a yes or no, but it, it has to do with um, whether it, it honestly has to do with are we engaging with the communities that are most impacted and are they leaving um, the work? So, and honestly, the communities are most impacted are all of us, but it can't leave out, it can't, um, if all of us, even people like the original ACE study that are, were mostly white and well off, economically, um, well, you know, affects them too. And so if um, we're in the um, professional sector and we are part of the community that is impacted by ACEs, but we can't be leaving out everyone else. um, Otherwise, we're not in a movement. We're doing kind of advocacy. And and so if we want to be a movement, we absolutely have to be in collaboration with community and we have to be addressing the issues that create those disparities. Um, for uh, for uh, for people who are quote unquote um, an organizing term closest to the pain. So, I think P- I think in, in, in the conversation I had today with the get- the people who joined me for is Paces a movement. Um, we kind of landed on Paces is a movement, but it's at its kernel. Like if you think of um, a corn kernel stage, and it needs to pop. And it pops when it's more in collaboration with the community and it forefronts the needs of the community which are for systems change because you know if you acknowledge that a lot of trauma is caused by systems not just systems aren't addressing the uh, the root issues such as poverty that's part of it but where are the ways that systems actually cause trauma and how do we end that um and how do we end that in collaboration with the people who are um, suffering from the consequences of systems that both ignore trauma and cause trauma. Um, so I would say P- Paces has a lot of potential. Uh, during the um, during the uh, event, I have this one slide that has I don't know twenty movements throughout U- U- United States history, and I put Paces in there in another color to say what you know to give this idea: of where are we and where do we want to go? When we look at all of these movements. Um, that we hopefully are aware of from our history, you know the whole controversy. people don't want to learn American history, but if you learned American history, then those there's been a lot of movements that have um you know made changes in the rights of of these groups that you you, you named some issues earlier, the groups who were affected by issues like racism and homophobia um, that we have made progress as uh, in terms of the movement since even though there's a long way to go. Um, if faces is a movement, then it is going to um, ask tough questions and demand um, change that that benefits everyone,
1: yeah, I think when i when I first started volunteering in this space, um, and I had a great deal of knowledge about trauma and intergenerational transmission. And then, I came out of kind of the academic space and wanted to volunteer and get really into community work. And what I uh, encountered there was very interesting. You know, um, people who, despite having very clear understanding of stress and trauma, and um, and aces were reluctant to talk about race at all. Um, wanted to make them their their work apolitical, mm-hmm. um, and had really. I've done a great deal of work to um, incorporate messaging that would be uh, non-polarizing, and it was just uh, startling to me because, you know, the implications of of the ACE study is is pretty clear to me, which is that um, this widespread trauma that's associated with poverty, the widespread trauma that's associated with racism. Um, historical trauma, the things that we've that we've encountered as a collective in the past that still impact us today, um can't be left out of the conversation. and um, and so when when I was kind of in the community movements at first, you know, back in the day, <laughs> um this was something that was a problem. People didn't want to talk about race. They didn't want to talk about um systemic issues. They, you know, um, and I feel as though um, the movements that I have been witness to and a part of um, when we got to 2020, <laughs> there was a bit of a, a reckoning. And and I've, you know, not only in the movements that I'm directly a part of locally, but nationally, there were people who had to say, OK, our 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 uh, initiatives around addressing stress and and trauma and fostering resilience have kind of left out this whole, um, you know, several issues um, because we don't want to be political or we don't want to have difficult conversations and that's no longer possible. Um, do you right. see the pandemic as kind of a catalyst for the movement currently or um, what changes have you noticed in the way that we are uh, in our way of working in this PACE's movement since the pandemic?
2: Wow. Well, um, I was just having this conversation at the CRC event, so this is great. Um, it's interesting because I see the pivot point in Pace's science and people who champion that work and are doing that work, you know, really trying to change things in their, specific, their respective organizations. Um, the pivot point I see as the racial reckoning that occurred as a result of the George Floyd murder. And that happened after the pandemic had started. And I think there's a connection because um, if there's anything that was a threat to safety, I mean, do I even have to get into all the ways suddenly having to stay home because some kind of virus that you didn't know, that even your medical experts didn't understand could kill us all? You know, people were on edge. We didn't know what was happening. We, didn't, it, we knew it was serious because we had unprecedented um, demands that we not engage in our regular activities, even our jobs. So um, it was a scary time. And, uh, when, and then that uh, murder happened, and there was a call to action, as there's always groups that are paying attention to these issues. But the turnout was, uh, I mean, I don't even want to put numbers to it, but it was stunning enough that we saw even the corporate sector suddenly start putting out statements that they center equity. Um, And, you know, organizations that never even did that before. Um, And everyone wanted to demonstrate that they cared about this. Because it's so true what you said prior to the pandemic. um, I was actually told by people who asked for presentations about ACEs not to talk about race. like don't come to my organization and talk about race. Like th- those act- actual sentences that were uttered. So um, so yes, this idea that it's too political, it doesn't belong, it isn't connected, which is inaccurate. It's just, you know, I, I come from academia. Um, I can uh, argue that point very well, I won't do it here, but it's not even accurate that there's no, there isn't a connection. So it's, um but people didn't want to talk about it and then after that uh, George Floyd it was almost like people were afraid not to talk about it but it was I, I think it's at a superficial level that needs real um, uh, it it needs expertise to help people develop a commitment so that this doesn't just disappear once we start to get back to normal whatever that is and I do think the pandemic so the being I think the conditions of the pandemic made people more sensitive to issues of social justice. And that's why we, uh, there's no single factor, but the the um, m- new kinds of people were showing up in the streets and they were persisting for longer. Um, those, those protests lasted for months and months. In some places, they extended very long, disrupting daily life, um, uh, daily life in cities like Seattle and Portland, um, and other places. And it got the attention as such um, activities always do of, um, you know, the, you know, policymakers and decision makers, they realize uh, if we don't address this issue, we might not get people back. We might not get people back indoors, back um, doing some semblance of what's normal. And so, we we have this gr- great opportunity from this, but I one thing I just worry about is that it moves beyond a superficial level of just being able to say I gotta I gotta slap equity into what I'm doing, whereas before, you know, e- and even that is a shift. Like I don't, it, it's you know, equity is important because it, it it's a word that helps us address the many sites of marginalization and oppression, but um, we still got to talk about race. We still have to name these things. Um, and so I think people are are recognizing that they have to be okay and nod their head when you bring up the word equity, but how deep it goes is something that um, we need to keep challenging and working with. And that definitely includes the Paces Science community. I, I feel like the Paces of Science community was one of the ones that did a overnight pivot. It was like, we can't talk about it. And now I got to put equity in, um, you know, at least one paragraph in one slide. <laughs> to, you know, that's the the combination effect of what people were calling the twin pandemics of um, that virus and kind of the fear it generated and um, people's increased awareness, kind of flashpoint, people's increased awareness of the social injustice that's been with us since the origin of our society.
1: Yeah, I also think that, you know, the pandemic itself also helped your average everyday citizen to understand the mind-body connection as well. And so um, the collective trauma, the hypervigilance, anxiety, depression, all of that also increased during that time. And people began to kind of flock towards mental health treatment um, Mm. during that time too, which oddly enough, the pandemic made more accessible because you could, do it on Zoom at home, whereas before it was a little harder to go. So I think, you know, the pandemic has definitely accelerated many aspects of our movement um, to include, again, the, the understanding that our mental health is not separate from our physical health. Um, and And on top of that, you know, if we believe in this mind, body, brain, body connection that you know ACES is really discussing on a regular basis. And so a big part of our ACES education is being very clear as to what happens in the brain and in the body when we experience trauma. Now we need to drive that point home in several ways. First, that you know we need to address traumatic conditions and systems. Um, and then secondly, that it's not you know, all brains and bodies matter. <laughs> so, so we have to acknowledge that, you know, poverty and, and racism, or having darker skin is a source of s- stress and trauma in our country. And what does that look like in a real way? And that is what makes us a movement is when we begin oh. to tackle these larger, bigger problems, systemic issues that we have, that are essentially traumatizing us as a, as a country, as a whole, and more in some groups more than others. Um, I know that you talked about the CRC program, the uh, Creating Resilient Communities. Is there anything else that you want to leave with our audience before we, before we close out?
2: Yes, I do want to make sure I know we just, we're short on time. So I wanted to make sure people know that you can follow um, uh, on Instagram and Twitter at CRC Paces, and you'll get information about how to join the CRC and um, and hopefully you know join us. We'll be um, the, the same events, some of which I mentioned today will repeat in 2023, and so the uh, the schedule will be available on Instagram and Twitter as well as if you're not already on PacesConnection.com. Um, we always post there as well uh, as the new schedule for each month comes out. Um, your next opportunity to take it will actually be January. So just note that we're, we're active right now in October. And um, and so, but you will have many opportunities in 2023 to take the whole series and um, join the discussion. I I love hearing from the people who come as much as I share what I have to share.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Dania, for joining us. Um, we definitely... Thank think you are a great asset at Pace's Paces Connection. And um, this conversation has really been helpful for me personally as a person that deals with anxiety all the time. Um, and so I, I really do hope that our listeners gain an understanding of how important it is to take care of your mental health, just like you would take care of your physical health. There's no, there's no difference. Um, but again, thank you for joining us, Danielle. And we will see you again next week.
2: All right. Thanks for
1: having me
0: thanks for listening to the show today we hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience join us every thursday at 1 p.m pacific time we wish you a beautiful week